0: This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. Jonathan Leaf is just a heavyweight in helping other agencies grow. He founded his own agency, Strawberry, in 1993, and over the preceding, let's say, 24 years, he's built it into a very successful and highly profitable agency. They've regularly been featured in the Drum Top 100 independence lists, Prolific North Top 50 agencies, among just a list of a ton of other accolades. I love his approach to business development, farming, not so much hunting. He's got some really interesting insights when it comes to business development and sales, he's helped a ton of digital marketing agencies and creative agencies fulfill their potential. Just a really fascinating guy with an amazing background and track record. Literally everyone I've spoken to about Jonathan Leaf constantly sing his praises worth his weight in gold, indispensable, couldn't have grown without him. He's just got a a string of accolades as long as you're on. I had a great conversation with him and I learned a ton in like the 45 minutes that we spent together. If you're interested in anything to do with agency growth, then strap yourself in because this is the conversation for you. I'm just gonna say, without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Jonathan Leaf. My extra special guest this week is Jonathan Leaf. He ran Strawberry for 27 years, a very successful creative marketing agency. He then sold up to become a performance marketing coach. He has since helped many digital agencies, marketing agencies and creative agencies fulfill their potential. One of his clients went from minus 20K EBITDA to 125K in 12 months. One has nearly doubled their turnover and more than doubled their profit, and one went from having no retainer clients to 100% retainer clients. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Jonathan Leaf, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Good afternoon, Nathan. It's great to speak to you. It's an absolute pleasure. And this is well overdue. This is almost six months overdue since the first time that I think that we spoke to each other online. So I'm glad that we've been able to get this in the diary. Yeah, me too. Fantastic. So, so you run or you ran a very successful agency, Strawberry, as we said in, in the introduction, very profitable agency in Yorkshire. You ran it for about 27 years. What were the most important milestones or principles that you used over that period of time to build a successful agency?
1: Well, I think I can probably answer that in three ways, really. The, the first thing, we were a training organization. So I really strongly believe in getting uh, youngsters in the business, first job graduates and apprentices, and actually training them on the job. Because in a way, we're in an industry that's moving so quickly that actually you, you can't really sort of like bring a lot of experience to the business. You ha- you can actually do a lot of training on the job. So one of my proudest parts of actually running Strawberry is that when I left the team of 40 people, when I sold out to my business partners, nearly half of the team had started their first job with uh, Strawberry, either as an apprentice or a first job graduate amazing so I'm really pleased about that. The other one is we had a very, very strong vision a very strong values of how we operated. our integrity was very strong, we were very much part of the community, so we networked within the community, and I think we just built a reputation on the back of that of being interested in what was going on in the local area that was very strong and um, finally we when we talked to clients we we always did what they needed never what they asked for so we were very strong on that so they used to come with a whole set of requirements and say well hang on a minute can we just think about that and we thought hard about it and went back and said, well you've you've said what you wanted but actually we think you need this mm. so you know we, we we maintained a lot of long-term clients because of that some of the clients were with us for 10 15 probably actually we had one for over 20 years
0: mm.
1: so that was great
0: I love those three three principles. I want to go back to the first one, actually, because in the context of the pandemic and COVID and, and agencies struggling to hire talent into their agencies, that one seems probably more important than ever before. The ability to sort of grow your own talent, as opposed to hire from a market, which it seems from a lot of the people that I'm speaking to is very much candidate driven It's very much an employee, employees market from a lot of the agencies that I'm speaking to, they're struggling to recruit the talent into their agency that they need for them to grow. How much do you think about when you're advising your clients? How much do you think about telling them, Hey, you need to actually think about growing your own talent rather than just acquiring and hiring from other sources?
1: I'll tell all of them that, to be honest, because. We looked at it almost like, in in football terms, I know you're a big Aston Villa fan, well, I guess someone has to be. (laughs) Thanks. But we looked at it as like a football because the the best football clubs in the country have academies and they have a really strong ethos of training and developing young talent. And we just followed that model. In fact, to the extent that we actually started our own agency, our junior agency is called Strawberry 2, and it was completely 100%... Employ the employees were either first job graduates or apprentices and we built a very very strong business on that so that the apprentices got two years in the business and then they had to move on mm. and the first job graduates had a year in the business and then they had to move on and big strawberry if you like employed a lot of them so it's almost like our academy mm. i wanted to call it the strawberry academy but my, my fellow director said no, that's too boring <laughs> let's call it strawberry too and actually he had it had its own client so the the, uh, the youngsters in that business got to work as the lead designers or the lead account executives or lead project managers on real business. So it really brought them on very, very quickly.
0: Fascinating. And and you say it was a purpose-led agency, a core values-based agency. Was that an integral part of the success of the agency?
1: Yeah, very much so. Because I think that actually stands you in long-term stead. We knew who we were. We knew what we stood for. We knew what our values. is. We knew our who our clients were. We supported the local economy. We got involved in local education. We got inv- involved with mentoring um, students. Uh, we always had a, a couple of desks spare for students to come in and use and just observe what was going on in Strawberry. So, yeah, we, we felt we were part of the community, and that was really important to us.
0: And, and that was something that was instilled from so sort the of the inception of the company or did that come a bit a little bit later on those agencies that are thinking about yes core values and a purpose are important do they need to be instilled from the very beginning or can you bolt them on later on i think it's got to be
1: part of your culture mm. so it was an integral part of our culture and i really believed in it and everybody who came on board strawberry had to buy into it really and i explained why we did it and we created a network of advocates by doing it so every We used to sort of like host about maybe up to 20 school kids a year just for a week's work experience. We used to have maybe four or five students every year, but every one of those had family. Every one of those had friends and they would take the name. So we used to look after them really well and do a proper week's work experience for them. And then they would take the name Strawberry and they would become our advocates. Mm -hmm. In fact, when I I left Strawberry and announced it on LinkedIn that I'd sold my final shares, uh, out of the blue, I got a connection on LinkedIn to said, my son came to Strawberry for their um, work, week's work experience and he's never forgotten it and it's on his CV and is now working at CERN in, in um, Geneva. Amazing! I know. I know. It made me. In fact, I can feel goosebumps now. It yeah. made me feel really proud. That.
0: Yeah. What an impact!
1: You know, we had those. We, we had those effects on people. And um, mm. you know, to build a good reputation takes a long time. Mm. And uh, we were we were wanting to build that really good uh, reputation in the local area and and, and nationally as well uh, that would would keep us through good times and bad. I think you find out who your friends are when mm. things are not going so well. <laughs> um as we all know so that that was the ethos of the company those the values that are instilled in the business
0: and then final point about this that ethos and those values they also helped you to attract the kind of clients that could help you grow as as well as sort of help you helping you operationally with the talent and the resourcing of the of the agency from a client attraction point of view what impact did the culture and the purpose and the values have
1: 100% definitely because actually it was part of the presentation when we came onto the credentials of the of the business and saying you know these are our these are our key principles these are our values how we operate we're integral in the in the local community we support it we support the education from schools colleges universities and every the clients bought into it you know that was one of the reasons that we were we were chosen and built a good relationship with them hmm. um and we try to and sometimes we encourage them to do the same as us and they did
0: so, so now you're a performance coach that works with digital and creative agencies. In fact, you're in, you're in one of your client studios now in Dublin where, you, where we're recording from. Which principles that you've used to build Strawberry are you now using to advise your clients? And tell us a little bit about sort of who your clients typically are, sizes, what kind of core disciplines they have, the challenges they have, and then maybe talk about the principles that you use most often to help them grow their businesses?
1: I think really the the uh, ideal client for me, are the clients I seem to attract are the ones who are stuck. You know, they're they're stuck on their journey. Probably they have eight to 14 employees. They're probably chasing their first million. And yet they just don't know what the next steps to make. What I try and do really is, is I have a look at the business and I look at the good bits. I look at the, the bits which are okay and I look at the bad bits. And I try and encourage them to drop a few of the bad bits. And we focus on the low-hanging fruit to start off with, just so we can get some easy wins to get them going. A lot of the cases, confidence, Nathan, in in all honesty. Mm. They just lack the confidence to actually take the next step, or they're a bit unsure. There's a lot of imposter syndrome out there. You know, we all suffer from it. Huge. Uh, you know, I do as well. Sure. Um, you know, we all do. and And I can relate to them. You know, I've been there, seen it, done it, done it for 30 years, and say sometimes you know, you've just got to battle your way through it. So I encourage them to be confident. I give them resilience. I get their good attitude going back and I give them that the, get them persisting on certain things. So we actually don't have to do too much to start off with. I, I take them through like a process of, of maybe the first couple of sessions. What does a great agency look like? You know, what does the best agency look like? What is the agency we want to be like? And then we map that out. I talk, talk them through that and say, well, how does that relate to us? If we're going to mark ourselves out of 10, what, where are we on that? What are the quick fixes? What are the long-term fixes? And then we start the process of working through it. And it's as simple as that. But it, you get a couple of easy wins on the board, and it gives everybody confidence and makes everybody sort of like stand stand up straight, put a smile on the face, get the shoulders back. And confidence is infectious. Mm. It really is. And once you've got that confidence, that, that sort of infiltrates through the team through the clients they've got, all of those sort of things. The other thing that I do is, is I look at uh, their, their clients. Quite often, the agents that I deal with have got a good, good set of clients, but they also have some pretty bad ones as well. And, hmm. and quite often, a lot of these clients that I work with are also stuck because they've got some bad clients in their business that hmm. are holding the back. They're spending too much time on poor clients that are not adding to their business. Whereas they should be spending more time on the clients that would help them grow their business, mm. and um, I'm sure we'll get onto this later. But it's it's this farming which I I believe in. I, I really teach everybody the ethos of farming mm. over hunting. Uh, mm. I know there's subtle there's, there are, there are nuances around that and subtles around it, and and everybody talks in slightly different ways about it. But I really strongly believe in that.
0: That thing about confidence is such a such a big issue. I was speaking to to Felix velari today and he's fantastic felix i really, really like him yeah he's he's awesome and um you know we, i was talking about my confidence actually um suffering a little bit and i was saying to him that it feels being a business owner and being self-employed it feels as though you're constantly in a state of perpetual like failure you're f- constantly failing at something a little bit every single day like you're not you feel as though you're not really owning or good enough really at Lots of different things, even though you're failing forward and you're making progress overall, if you step back, you're going in the right direction, but it constantly feels as though you're being hammered over the head and being pushed back in lots of different ways so so that confidence does take a knock from time to time oh, it definitely does. I mean,
1: what I try and do to actually fix my confidence when I go into I mean, look, it affects everybody. But my, my background was actually in music before I got into the agency world, and um, I was in a band. We, we toured for four years, uh, up and down the country and in, in Europe and Sweden, Germany, and I was a guitarist. And I kid you not, sometimes we used to go out there and, and we would play in front of a hundred people, and we were amazing. But we didn't go down very well, and there was no no one there. And then other times we'd play in front of a thousand people and not particularly play very well, but go down really well. I mean, there's no mm. rhyme or reason. Mm. And it's just a confidence thing. And what I try and do as well is I try and push myself out, out of my comfort zone all the time. I try and do things that I wouldn't normally do. And they just give you little bits of confidence. And it all adds up to being, being you and giving yourself that sort of like an shatterable confidence aura around you. Mm. Uh, and it makes you feel that you can achieve anything. Sometimes it's going to take longer than you think but you will get there providing that you have that persistence and that resilience. And I think that's probably lacking in a lot of, um, education establishments at the moment. They don't necessarily teach resilience as much as they should do Hmm. because we have, let's face it, all of us have to be pretty resilient over the last 18 months as we all know. Yeah.
0: Through the last two years. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so what does a great agency look like? You raised an interesting question that you ask all of your clients.
1: Well, a great agency has three things which they're really good at. They have amazing clients, they have an amazing team, and they have amazing leadership. That's what a great agency looks like. Mm. All of that can be taught. Apart from you've, most agencies don't have an amazing set of clients. They'll have a few bad ones in there. So therefore, that's where I always start. I say, let's, let's get the right clients on board because once you've got the right clients on board, the team like it, and then the leadership can take over. So it's almost if like you get those three things in balance, you what you've got basically I call it the triangle of happiness <laughs> it just works mm. it works every time and you keep working on it. you improve the leadership, you keep on improving the team, and you keep on improving your clients mm. it's a virtuous it's a virtuous circle really
0: and by right clients are you not just talking about profitability, I assume you're talking about culture fit and enjoying the work can you expand on that
1: yes, sir I have a I had used to have a five-point checklist um, for onboarding clients, Mm. and I won't go into the the, the list of. uh, I mean, I'll make, I'll send it to you um, Mm. separate to this podcast now. But I used to have a a five-point checklist, and it scored out of twenty. If the client scored between fifteen and twenty, I used to go and get that client as though my life depended on it. (laughs) If it scored between ten and fifteen, then I would consider it, and if it was less than ten, I would walk away. Mm. It was as simple as that. Okay, and I think most agencies particularly when they start, so particularly when they're smaller, they have an open door policy. Mm. Literally, they'll just let anybody in and they'll just do the work because they think that's what's important. Mm. But it's not. It's making sure you get the right clients on board for your agency. And, and once that are going to deliver over a period of time, you can't just relying on projects followed by projects, followed by projects. There's got to be something. A project's got to lead to something else. Mm. Project's got to lead to a technical services contracts if it's a digital agency. It's got to lead to a marketing contract if it's more of a creative marketing agency, mm. a retainer. It's got to uh, lead to long-term value so that client's going to be with you over one, two, three, four, five years. Mm. Another strong thing that I used to look, look at as well, and this is again coming back to my farming ethos, is that pick the clients that are on the up, pick the clients that are, are growing themselves, pick the clients that are in industries that are advancing quickly. Uh, Don't pick the clients that are in sort of like a really tough, tough business. Mm. Pick the clients that you can grow with. Um, We had one client when we started out, they had um, five depots in the north of England. Now they've got 75. So consequently, we grew with them. Mm. We had a building company that were building on average, say, 50 houses a year. And then I think this year, they're probably on to build about 500 houses a year. So by picking the right clients by default you grow with them as well
0: mm, mm. and i guess that goes back to your hunting versus farming approach to new business right absolutely yeah i'll let you explain it but farming is essentially sort of growing with your clients uh, your existing clients the ones that that are on the up as opposed to hunting which is a bit of a, a bit of a lottery and really challenging for a lot of agencies but you say pick your clients it's not always that easy though though jonathan surely clients pick you Talk a little bit about. I mean, you make it sound easy that you can pick your clients. Expand on the hunting versus farming approach to new business.
1: Okay, so ostensibly, if we just deal with the farming, and I'll come to the hunting later. So the farming part of it is, is actually if you create this aura. Well, now it takes time to do it. If you create this aura around the agency of your values, uh, investing in the local community, being there at networking events, uh, being there at um, other events where you might bump into signposts who would say, well, you know, you should go and speak to those sort of people. So you're starting to create an environment where people are ready to work with you. And what happens is they approach you and then you have that scorecard which you mm-hmm. go through. And I, I I was very honest with clients. If they scored 15, above 15, I used to say we have a an onboarding score chart. Uh, you've scored unbelievably highly. That <laughs> means two things. We're really good for you. You're really good for us. So let's get, you know, let's get doing some business. And pretty much it always worked because it was the truth, Mm. you know. So that's, that's like the farming part. I mean, there's an element of hunting in there, but what you're doing is you're creating superior opportunities by just being in the right place at the right time. Mm. And that takes time. You know, you're not going to, just by hunting and knocking on doors, you're not going to get that side, that that sort of result Mm. just by being the, Taking the time to get to know the people, um, and eventually, good things happen. So it's as simple as that. Once you're in that uh, farming environment, for example, what I used to say to the the team, even when we were t- we were turning over say one million plus, I say, well, let's just focus. Let's have a look at it. We've got some really good clients in this business. Rather than pitching for new business, why don't we pitch new ideas to our existing clients? So we used to find our existing clients and find a good idea that they weren't doing or a service that we were supplying that they weren't using, or something that their competitor was doing that they weren't doing. I mean, We used to identify these opportunities and actually go and present and pitch the idea to the clients for more business for us, mm. but it would benefit them as well. And two things can happen there. Number one, the client can say, well, that's just an amazing idea, Jonathan. Let's do it. Here's loads of money. Or two, no, we're not going to do it yet, but we really appreciate that you're mm. thinking of us. So it's a win-win scenario as far as I'm concerned. Whereas if you're just randomly pitching to new business, you don't have that deep relationship. So the deeper you can go with that relationship that you have with your existing business, i.e. farming, then you are going to get more opportunities out of your existing clients. So it's Mm. as simple as that. And I always reckon when I go into any of my clients, I say, if we do this properly, there's probably anywhere between 25% and 50% growth just in your existing clients without looking for any new business. Full stop. <laughs> and, and it always works. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's more than that.
0: Absolutely love that, Jonathan. Great advice. What advice would you give to agencies on how best they should structure their teams? There's so much advice out there for agencies. What's your, what's your perspective?
1: Well, I, I think that actually there's only six hats in, a, in any agency that need filling. Um, ostensibly, when you start a business, you wear all of those six hats. But as time goes on and you start to hire people, you can give those hats away. So you're the visionary, so that's the visionary hat. Mm -hmm. Just underneath the visionary, there's the operations hat. Beneath the operations hat, there's the account management hat, there's a project management, there's uh, creativity, and there's quality. And those are the six hats that need filling. Some people might fill two hats. A lot of the time, people put account management and project management which I'm not very keen on I think they're very very different skills and then there's creativity and then there's quality often that goes in the same person as well but it's better to split those off as well so providing you've got six people working that's your senior management team and then you can everybody then you've got the skilled people underneath them and those skilled people can either be full-time employed they can be contractors or they can even be freelancers so you can providing you've got that core senior management team who really understand what the ethos of the business is you've got an agency which can grow to almost like any any scale
0: Mm, really love that
1: Uh, clearly there are other things like finance and admin and things like that but that they are their support services they're not core. they're not what the core agency does
0: and you see these these functions essentially as being separate individuals not are we talking? We're not talking metaphorically here. You're actually talking about a quality person, someone responsible for quality, uh, ideally a someone responsible person, but, for I mean, not, creativity, etc.
1: Exactly, but ostensibly, in, in a smaller agency, the like I did when I started out, I, I, I used to wear the uh, visionary hat, the operational hat, Every the account hat. management hat, Team-maker. and uh, you often find that the the divide goes where the visionary works with the account manager because that's where the magic happens. They're the one they're farmers in chief. they go out and encourage the the clients to develop. They come up with the ideas for the clients they're making sure that the clients are super happy with the agency. they make sure that the client is getting everything they need out of the agency and then the other people are more so like on the production level so the product product manager the project manager has got one goal and that's to deliver on the agency promise mm. to make sure that the the client gets what the agency has promised. And then the creativity is to knock it out of the park from a point mm. of view of how everything works and the quality is to make sure everything absolutely is nailed to the floor from a point of view of mm. it's it's fit for purpose.
0: Mm. Absolutely love that. And then in terms of how agency owners should best divide their time, let's say they are the visionary stroke account person, how should they divide their time? How should they be thinking about splitting their time between revenue, operations, and everything else that they need to do.
1: Well, ideally I mean I got to a situation where I had done so much work on actually preparing the business for me not being there. Um I actually went to work one day I think I didn't have anything to do. It was really really quite quite unnerving. So I actually That's went off for a month. Actually went off for a month. And when I came back I found something that I could improve upon. So I I jumped into that and, and started again really just to and t- took the agency to another level again. But I, I was very much the visionary. Um, fortunately, I wasn't really brilliant at any of the other things. I could project management and I could account management because that was my background. Mm-hmm. But creativity, n- not really. Quality, not really my thing of detail. So I, I hired people in to do those as soon as possible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you've just mm-hmm. got to do you've, you've got to detach yourself. It's the old adage, and I'm sure you've had this said by a lot of people on here, is that you've got to let go to grow uh, you've got to work on the business not in the business you've got to get out the trenches mm. all of those sort of things and, and to be fair it's all true and you'll hear that from all, every single coach mm. um, you know from Felix to Rob Costa to Robert Craven all of the people will say the same thing mm. the main man in the business the founder the, the the leader the managing director has got to direct the business he's got to see beyond the horizon mm. he's the one who will take the business where the business needs to be If he's bogged down in the trenches and operational, it just won't happen. Full stop.
0: Final question, Jonathan, before we get into our favorite questions at the end of the interview. At what point should agency owners be thinking about selling their business? You know, let's think about you at Strawberry. I guess it's a slightly different case because I guess that business was quite close to your heart. It it was based on your values and your purpose. And I guess a lot of agency owners wouldn't ever want to really sell that sort of business. But in the case that an agency owner does eventually decide hey you know i want to exit in the next, the next three to five years how should agency owners start thinking about making that decision
1: well i was i was very interested to listen to your podcast of a couple of weeks back with the um the gentleman from waypoint partners mm. who I know waypoint partners very well um I know one of the guys who used to work, his, he's, he's moved out now. But um, Jim
0: Houghton, yeah.
1: Yeah, Jim Houghton. He, I found that absolutely fascinating. But, but he was talking about high-level stuff. He was talking about bigger agencies. He didn't say, say as much, but I, I, I know as much he was. You know, they, they are into multi-millions, the, the agencies he's dealing with. But that's not the vast majority of agencies. The vast majority of agencies, you're talking 75 18 maybe even 90% of agencies are small. And actually, the chances of them selling in a trade sale is is actually virtually nil. I reckon it's probably one in 400 agencies will ever sell to a trade sale. But you've, So you've got to think of it in a different way. If you're a small mm. agency, mm. the chances are you will not sell your agency to a competitor or someone else because you're just too small. And you are the agency. And what is the person buying when they come into the agency? Ostensibly, they're buying you. And you want to leave. So it's not really the same as what waypoint partners were doing Mm. so if we're talking if we're talking about that the smaller agencies i think there is a way you can get out of the business and it's exactly what i did is you you identify the people to take over from you and you basically you you do it through succession planning and i reckon if you've got five ten or fifteen years you can you can do it quite successfully but there are quite a few things that have got to happen Clearly, you've got to build the equity up in the business. That's really important. So the balance sheet has got to be very, very strong. Mm. Um, It's got to be profitable. So you've got to do all of the right things anyway. Uh, And you've got to build that second tier management team to such a level that they are capable and confident to take over the business from you. And then you have got your exit. Mm. Otherwise, you just won't manage it. I, I come across a lot of businesses who say, and I say, "Well, what's your what's your exit plan?" and They say, "Well, when I've had enough, I'll sell it." And it's just not going to happen <laughs> uh, in all okay. honesty. You know. it just it just will not happen. I reckon there's probably maybe point two, well point two five percent of agencies will ever sell mm. to a trade. They just like fizzle out, or you know, they they go they. And I'm talking from experience here. You know, this is what I know from agencies in Yorkshire. Mm. I'm sure it's slightly different in London. So I've really got a, a strong methodology that I use. And so, well, what is your end plan? You know, what is your, and, and, and really it's down to the agency owner's personal goals, which is the important thing. What, when do they want to retire? How much do they want to retire on? And that's my starting point. And how long is it going to take to get there is the second point. How will we get there, which is the third point. And what do we need to put in place to get there is the fourth point. And then we start the journey i think i can probably do it with the majority of agencies that i work with but it's just an ethos again um again it's easier said than done i guess yeah i did i managed to do it but it took me 10 years and it took me growing the business from a million to two million to do it but i don't think you necessarily need to be that that big to to do it
0: and obviously that with your experience you're helping agencies reduce the time that it takes to to uh, to get to that sort of result so worth its waste, weight weight in gold yeah it's,
1: it's a it's a timescale thing but again it's a men, it's a mentality i think it's the mentality of, of getting to the end line mm. and and finding out what you want sometimes you've got to be soul searching around that i knew that i wanted to be out of the business by the time i was 55 because i wanted a third career of uh of mentoring i i've got enough out of the business to retire but gosh i don't want to retire i love doing this sort of thing meeting mm. people like yourself you know mm. I uh, love coming over to Dublin to meet some fantastic people. You know, I've learned more in the last three years than I've done in the previous ten. Mm. You know, on see, so I'm lo- I'm absolutely loving my job. It's the best job I've ever had mm. by by miles.
0: Absolutely love mm. it. Absolutely love it. G- great insight shared there. Let Let's get into our favorite questions now, Jonathan. This This is my favorite part of the show, and a lot of listeners' favorite part of the show as well. So we're going to ask you some interesting questions about your personal life um, okay. and who is the person behind the brand tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience
1: well I had um I had an interest in a publishing company and uh, their solution to get over production issues was to throw people at it and uh lo and behold they failed within six months <laughs> so you never you never solve problems by throwing people at it mm. you've got to step back from it and and work work the solution
0: so I mean, you can't just leave us with that, Jonathan. You need to to add a little bit more meat on the So expand on that a little bit. Well, they
1: were very inefficient, effectively. And their solution to being inefficient was to throw more resource at it. Throw more bodies. Just just throw more bodies at it, actually, without stepping back and thinking, actually, we could do this better. So every time I had an issue with things going wrong in Strawberry, I said, I used to step back with everybody and said, right, how are we going to solve this problem? How can we do it better? And it was never by throwing more bodies at it. Because that just make actually it makes you more inefficient. It does because you, you can't see the wood for the trees. So yeah. I'm very process driven. Get the process in place first. Make sure that everybody is trained, educated, know what the end goal is, and then they can attack it. But if they don't know what they're doing, you're you're just going to you're going to crash into brick walls all the time.
0: So is that just about you like increasing the efficiencies, like incre- and improving processes within the agency? Because you can be lean. You know, if you if you can improve processes 5% all the way throughout the agency, then, you know, you strip out costs, you improve efficiencies, you reduce costs that way. Is that the sort of thing that you're thinking about as a, as opposed to kind of throwing resource and bodies at it?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's two there's two ways to make a business more successful, either be more efficient or charge more. Mm. The, the, those are the only two ways of making it better. Um, but actually. I'm a really strong believer of training. You know, you've got uh, and this is my ethos as I said right at the beginning at the top of the meeting. Keep on training people, make sure people are trained to the best of their ability so they feel competent to do the work because that's often where you lose hours, you lose days because people just are confused about what's supposed to do and and just go down the wrong track. Whereas if you I mean people some people might say it's a little bit of micromanaging. Well, and that might be the case to start off with, but if you take the time to train someone to do something properly. The next time you, you come to that problem, they know how to solve it without panicking or
0: coming to you. By the way, any advice on motivating people and staff? You know, there are all these stats thrown around these days, around 85% of employees are disengaged with their work. How do we get our employees and our talent to be more engaged? Um, they're not disengaged with their work, they're disengaged with their bosses. Ooh, controversial.
1: It's it's controversial. I think it's absolutely true. I think leadership, modern leadership today has got to be educated and empathetic. You know, I I was very, very strong that my leadership style was by consent. So whenever I never told anybody what to do, I asked them. Mm. um, I said, what did they think? What was their opinion? Um, Because if you ask them their opinion, they're engaged. If you tell Mm. them what to do, they're disengaged. And, and you, you, you mentioned it before, we are in a very turbulent area with how, where people want to work, You know, working from home. It's very easy now if someone's working from home, they can, they can resign and be working for someone else in the afternoon. And actually, as far as they're concerned, nothing's changed. Mm-hmm. The view's the same, the desk is the same. Mm-hmm. And so the, there's no loyalty there. Um, so therefore, you've got to create it in different ways. You've got to get them engaged. You've got to be empathetic to their needs. You've got to, you've got to see the world from their perspective. All the time, you know, the old-fashioned management of, say, 20 or 25 years ago, forget it. Command and control. Does does not work. Mm. It does not work. Not that it ever did. It probably never did work. It never did. But we never had any other choice, did we? (laughs) No, we never had any choice. And be the the boss that you would want. Yeah. You know, be the boss that you would want to have. Yeah. That's what I would say. You know, you just got to be, say, it's empathy and education. Seeing the world from their, their eyes, their perspective, really important.
0: Tell us about your early mentors who helped you think in the way that you do around business and entrepreneurship.
1: Well, I guess my dad, um sadly he died 25 years ago, but he had his own business and I and I watched him how hard he worked and what how how he was with people and um he was a great great networker. He he got involved with charities Um, with education, and I I think probably he was my biggest um, influence, even though I didn't end up working for him. My brother did. My brother ended up working in the business, and I didn't. I left when I was very young. And then I had another guy, I'm going to mention him by name, David Hall. He's a a brilliant coach, actually. Professor David Hall, I should say, brilliant coach, written many books. Mm. And uh, I did um, a uh, six-session course with him, and I learned a load from him. And actually, it changed the world the way I thought. Things it's what mm. opened my eyes a lot, and he he said you're either two things you're either open-minded or closed-minded. Unfortunately, I'm very open-minded, but mm. you you come across lots of closed-minded people. Closed-minded people ostensibly saying uh no, I'm not going to change. It's not for me. No, there's, why why we should? It's not broke, so we're not mm. ain't going to fix it. And the open-minded mm. person is always looking for opportunities, mm. looking for ways of doing things differently. He's looking beyond the horizon. So fortunately, I'm of that ilk. Mm. And I'm sure you are as well, Nathan, or else you wouldn't be doing this. I
0: try to be. No, of course you are. Be. I've you know learned are. a ton from people like you, and it's just it's changed my world.
1: Everybody on your podcast will be of that ilk. I know there will be.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I like to I'd like to think so. And yeah, it's 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 interesting you say that because the next question is actually my personally favorite question, because I'm sure there's a lot of learning in here as well from you. But what are your some of your favorite books? Fiction, non-fiction, business-related, non-business-related. Because it's, you know, what you put in your mind is the thing, is what comes out. And, you you know, the people that we've had on the show are very intentional about what they consume, both on TV and, you know, through books and other media. But um, I'm interested.
1: I guess I tend to do my learning from podcasts now. Okay, um, good. Prior to that, there was Agency actually... masters. Uh, masters. Yeah, obviously. of course. Um, there's one book which I think is the Bible for for marketers. Mm. Uh, and it's written by David Ogilvy, and it's Ogilvy on advertising. Brilliant. It was written in the 1960s. Mm. Uh, and, and clearly, you, you, when you look at it, you think, well, that's terribly old-fashioned. But I tell you what, he nailed it. He was mm. the man who invo- invented modern advertising, as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. And if, if you only follow half his principles, even today, you won't go far wrong. His creativity was mm. outstanding. It's, it's my very favorite book. And I, I often end up buying it for clients and say, just read this. It's just brilliant. Uncomplicated. Yeah. Brilliant.
0: Focus on unchanging man, you know, whether it's 1960s yeah. or 2021, people don't change.
1: He's just, he's just an absolute genius. He really was. He invented modern advertising. Yeah. And, and really, we, we can still learn from that because actually at the heart of modern advertising is just good creativity. That's all it is. The rest of it is just di- di- different delivery methods.
0: What do you do for fun when you're not running agencies or helping agencies grow?
1: Oh, crikey. How long have you got? I've, killed, I've climbed <laughs> Kilimanjaro. I've played polo. Wow. I'm, a, I'm a scuba diver. Amazing. I play golf. I go to the gym. I like cycling. Um, I'm massively interested in history. I, uh, my, Napoleonic is my subject. I collect guitars. I've got quite a few of those. I, 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 never, I don't keep them in the one place, so I don't know how many I've got. Hmm. Uh, so um, I love that. And, um, yeah, I, I, I've love got it. so many di- diverse interests. I, love I, can't, it. So I like wine. Uh, you know, I love, tra- love traveling. Traveling is my thing. I don't yeah. have any children, so I've always been able to, um, to do that. I've got three cats.
0: Uh, okay. Keep me
1: entertained. I'm a stupid yeah. old cat person. <laughs> <laughs> love
0: it. Absolutely love it. Lots of expensive habits there, but, yeah, yeah I guess you manage them well
1: yeah i've given up quite a few of the expensive ones to be honest because the the expensive ones are generally the most dangerous ones right
0: (laughs) right climbing mountains and stuff like that yeah
1: that was the hardest that's the hardest thing i have ever done it sounds like it yeah six thousand meters, meters no oxygen and uh, minus 15 i think it was at the top
0: what made you think that was a good idea
1: well, I did it for raising money for a charity. Okay. Yeah. So that's I rather would, just wouldn't have done it. You know, it was just Fair bloody enough. hard. You
0: don't do it on a lark. No,
1: <laughs> not at all. No. There's a good friend. Well, there's another person called Claire Heaviside who yeah. um, she she runs a brilliant business called Serotonin in Manchester, and she so we sort of like connected, and we both had something in common that we both climbed Kilimanjaro, and I, and I don't and I think I know anybody else who's climbed it. Yeah.
0: And my final question that I ask everyone, what do you know about growing agencies today that you wish you knew 27 years ago or at the, the beginning formula. of your career?
1: There's just a formula. You get three things right and you, you will always succeed. Get the right clients, get the right team on board and have leadership that is, is empathetic and educated. You will never go wrong doing that. And that's mm. it. Just, it's a magic formula you need to keep working at it. You can never drop it. You'll never get it right. You've got to keep moving. You've got to keep looking at it and look at it again, look at it again. Always, always doing um, the best you possibly can to, to make sure those three pillars are, are, are right.
0: Jonathan, thank you so much for doing this.
1: Oh, thanks, Nathan. It was great to speak to you.
0: We have been speaking with Jonathan Leaf. He is currently the owner of Leaf Consultancy. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 140 such conversations we've had with world-class leaders in sales and marketing. Thank you for all of your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Write to me at Nathan at agencydealmasters.com. Please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Nathan Nanny We would be unable to do this show without our very own dealmasters. Tyler Baller is our bookerslash project manager. Christoph Wazchek is our producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Deal Masters.